0: Limitless was created in order to inform, educate, entertain, and share stories from within the blind and partially sighted community in order to show the world that the opportunities for those who are blind or partially sighted are truly limitless. And now it is my pleasure to introduce you to your host, the executive director and founder of Blind Beginnings, Sean Marsolais. Welcome back to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast.
1: I'm your host, Sean Marsolais. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. I am excited to welcome Ginny back to the podcast. Welcome, Ginny.
2: Thanks, Sean. Hello, everyone. I'm excited to be back.
1: Yeah. And today we're going to talk about your journey to get a guide dog. And I'm like so excited to hear some of the details of what this process has been like for you. So maybe first of all, introduce your guide dog. What's their name and uh, how old are they? What kind of dog? Tell us a little bit about your dog.
2: Yeah. Okay. Um, So I have a three-year-old guide dog named Sadie. She is a, she looks like a black lab, but she is a Labrador and golden retriever cross. So she has that very loud bark. Um, And I actually got her in this past April. So April of 2021.
1: Now you went to get a dog during COVID uh, and where, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, you haven't actually told us where did you have to go to get your dog?
2: Yeah. So I can give a bit, maybe a bit of background on, on why I how all about that. So I went to the seeing eye, which was actually one of the first guide dog schools or seeing eye dog schools to open up and it's located in morristown new jersey um originally i wanted to apply to three different schools but i really found that the seeing eye uh, fit for me and that's probably something that we'll get into a bit later as well and when i sent my application was a year uh, almost a year ago to April, so in March of 2020. And it took me a year, to, actually, yeah, just a year to kind of get accepted into the program. And I wanted a guide dog since I was in high school. But in order to have a guide dog, you have to have really strong cane skills, so really strong orientation and mobility skills, which uh, once we talk more about training, um, that will uh get explained as to why you need those and in high school my parents just didn't think i was ready and people just didn't think i was as ready and you know i did have a lot of things to work on um and even when i was first applying uh last year i didn't think i was as ready until my own instructor kind of said you know what you know you're actually looking pretty good so it it, it, t- it takes a while to get the guide dog so it definitely takes a years or a couple of years
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it took me a year or two when I applied until I actually mm-hmm. went to training. So my training was only two weeks. I went to Guide Dogs for the Blind. How long was your training?
2: Yeah, so Guide Dogs for the Blind was actually on my list. Um, and the seeing eye trains you for three and a half weeks, I believe, if you're a new, uh, new dog guide user. But if you're a or if you're coming back for your successor dog, you don't have to stay that extra week. So you go home a bit early and the extra week
1: is specifically for new trains. Okay. And so flying to New Jersey during COVID, uh, what what did they do to sort of protect everybody from each other? You're all coming from different places, I'm Mm -hmm. guessing, around North America? Yes. So
2: seeing I accept students from the States and Canada, um, actually, they weren't accepting students from Canada for a while. And actually, my, me and one other student in, in April came from Canada, and we were actually the first ones to go back uh, when they were accepting Canadian students. So we were actually kind of like the guinea pigs to see how things would go. Um, and there was a lot of unknowns. So, you know, having to look up that you're testing, having to... Uh, look up things like that. The good thing was that seeing I was generous enough to pay for our two-week hotel quarantine and meals. Um, And we stayed in a hotel near campus. And then when when we came back, um, we actually didn't have to quarantine. We applied for an exemption. Um, We just had to quarantine at home, not in a hotel. So um, we did that. Um, But flying there was actually not as difficult as I thought, because you still got assistance on and off the plane. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really have any problems. Just the only thing was once you kind of hit the border crossing. So once we were flying into New Jersey, then they just kind of, you know, looked at your tests, your COVID tests, looked at your paperwork. On the way back though, it was a bit more of an issue because Rather than having a layover in the States and then finally landing in Vancouver, where they were, where they would look at our paperwork. We actually went through Montreal. So we actually missed me and this other student. we missed our flight from Montreal to Vancouver because of the COVID delays, Mm. which did kind of stress me out because I was traveling with a new guide dog and now we hear we had to wait for five hours in an airport. But um, other than that, the flying wasn't actually the hard part.
1: Yeah. Uh I know how stressful that is with you know you mm-hmm. need to relieve the dog and now you're stuck in an airport and there are relieving spots in the airport which is very interesting but mm-hmm. dogs my dog at least didn't want to use that fake grass <laughs>
2: she didn't either she went outside and also her food was in my suitcase which was oh, was still yeah. checked under right so it was like what do I feed her so just like those things that you never really think about because you know you've had a cane you can just fold it up and put it in your backpack mm-hmm. so it was like kind of i was like immediately kind of thrown into things Real when life i was heading back the yeah yes.
1: <laughs> heading okay back. let's talk about the training mm-hmm. um what's training like three weeks everything you need to know about a guide dog what do you learn
2: yeah so i'll kind of break it down so in so the first two days you don't even get your dog you are working with the instructor Um, And then you get your dog on the third day. And the first one and a half, two weeks, are you're working on two specific routes in Morristown. One is a little bit harder, one is not. And then the last week is called freelance. So that's something where you get to kind of choose what you want to do based on your home lifestyle. So backing it up to the beginning. So like I said, for the first two days, you don't meet your dog. That is because you're practicing the route that you're going to take with the dog um, by doing the Juno walk with your instructor. So a Juno walk is when the instructor takes a guide dog harness and they hold it from the front. So kind of simulating that feeling of the dog and you kind of hold you hold the other end and they just walk. So that gives you a chance to practice right hand turns, um, how to, you know, stop and go how to correct the dog if they're getting distracted without actually having to worry about the dog being there. And it also gives you a chance to get a feel for the route because when you get your dog, you're going to be the one directing them on that route, uh, contrary to misconceptions that uh, people have.
1: I mean, I remember the first time I did a Juno walk, like after being used to having your cane touching the ground in front of you Mm -hmm. where you're walking, what was that like for you to be sort of Almost, You almost feel like you're being, I don't want to say dragged, but a little bit like you're being pulled along and yeah. you can't feel the ground because you're just holding on to the harness of your dog.
2: Yeah, um, that is actually very strange because I am was so used to feeling cracks and dips in the sidewalks and things. The first time I did a Juno walk, we were flying because with a dog you are kind of walking a bit faster. And if, you know, I didn't have to kind of stop and start with my cane getting caught in things. Mm I'm a a much more quicker traveler. Uh, But there was an incident, actually the last day of class where I fell and, you know, this happens to the best of us. This isn't anything to do with guide dogs, just simply because my toe got caught in the crack of a sidewalk, you Mm. know, because I just didn't place my foot right. But whereas if I had my cane, my cane probably would have gotten caught in that. Um, and no, I have not really fallen since. so <laughs> that's, good. <laughs> that's good. but it, but you know, those little things that you're like, oh right, I forgot that I have to actually get used to that now. Um, mm-hmm. those things. And then, yeah, so going back to back to um, the way training works, on the third day, you get your dog and that kind of gives also the instructors, a chance to finalize what dog they're going to match with you because dogs are given to, uh, they call us clients based on the speed that they walk based on temperament and lifestyle based on the pull. So the pull is how hard, uh, the dogs kind of, um, pull in the harness. Like if you grab a jump rope and you pull it taut and someone's pulling the other end, that's kind of what we describe as pull. And because we were, um, students during a pandemic i actually never got an instructor to come look at my home area and test those things with me so i gave them a video so for them those two extra days were very very important for the um Mm -hmm. for that and then on wednesday morning we got our dogs you're given about 10 minutes to just kind of hang out with them because they are highly bonded to their trainer And in the afternoon is when we actually went and did our first walk with the dogs. And then, so that was a Wednesday. And then the following Sunday is what we call a solo. So you do the first route and you do it by yourself with your dog and the instructor just follows. And during that route, you will have another instructor and they had a poodle and they were kind of set up to be a dog distraction for your dog. So you kind of learn how to correct your dog if they distract we had an instructor set up a barricade so if something's blocking the sidewalk your dog has to take you into the road and kind of walk you around it um the seeing eye also does what we call traffic checks so if you're walking and a car is backing out of the driveway your dog is taught to stop immediately or if you're crossing the street but the car turns in front of you, your dogs taught to stop. So those were also things we had to do on the route as well. Same for the second route, just more of dog distractions and all that. And then we did freelance. So I actually went to a university campus because I'm a student, I wanted to do that. I did escalators with my dogs which, um, I actually really don't like escalators, but it was quite easy to do revolving doors, just things like that.
1: It's funny. You're mentioning some of the, (laughs) in in my training, the dog distractions we had, we had lots of practice with that actually getting on and off the bus that we took every day to go in. So I was in Oregon, so we would go Mm -hmm. into Portland to do training, but yeah, the, other trainers would bring their pet dogs to be the dog distractions. <laughs> they would yeah. take turns bringing a dog and we'd have to like walk our dog towards the bus. And then the, their, their dog would be there to distract, to practice. And, um, yeah. yeah, we also had the, the instructor kind of be the car pulling out unexpectedly. I remember how scary that was. That Like, was. okay. Uh, you know, I've never done this before. You're telling me this is going to happen. And I'm just hoping that my dog is paying attention and, and knows how to stop and and do what it's supposed to. Right. Like, yeah, freaky. It was
2: definitely interesting because I was like, is she going to stop? And they're like, Oh yeah, she'll stop. But they also, they tap you on the shoulder when it's going to happen. one time she thought my dog thought she was very smart. So when the car actually did kind of turn in front of us, she tried to go around it. So that was kind of like her only thing. So what they do in that instance is they take a rolled up newspaper and kind of boop the dog on the nose because that is kind of one of their sensitive areas to kind of let Mm. them know, Oh, you got a little bit too close here. So she did kind of get booped on the nose a little bit um, to kind of let her know that, Oh yeah, uh, that was a bit too close. And yeah, also they had pet dogs there too. There was a poodle named Mocha, a poodle named Taylor. They also have two cats named Nash and, uh Crosby who live on the premises as cat distractions as well <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> cool so I mean personally what was training like for you was it easy was it hard how was it
2: uh yeah so I there's a lot of misconception about training being this amazing amazing wonderful fun time which it is but I no one ever talks about how hard and draining training is because you're working. Like, so we got up at five 30 in the morning to feed and park, which we call relieving uh, the term for relieving our dogs, our dogs all the way to like nine. Um, So we worked like a full day with our dogs. And after that, you're just so exhausted because you know, some yeah. days would be better than others. Some days wouldn't. These dogs are still, bonded to their trainers, they sometimes they don't want to listen to us. I remember healing Sadie down the hallway. She didn't want to listen to me. She didn't know who I was. She was like, why should I work for you? And, you know, I definitely cried at some points because it was like, I felt like this dog just didn't want to work for me, which Mm -hmm. wasn't the case. Now she loves working for me. It's just, you have to let that bond develop, which actually doesn't even develop for six months to a year. That's when it's fully formed and fully developed. And some no. days would be really, really great. Like I took, so they take you to New York City if you want to go during freelance, and I definitely wanted to go. And they, you know, they say if the, your guide dog can guide you to New York, they can make it anywhere. And she was incredible in the city. So you know, there was good days and bad days, but it was definitely, definitely draining, especially because I had been there already two extra weeks. So over a month. And Mm -hmm. some of us who had to quarantine, we were very close already, which kind of helped the class bonding process. But I noticed that some of us were just so tired more than others, because for us, it's like we just want to go home. It was it was just it gets exhausting after a while, but it was there was definitely great things about it.
1: Oh, I remember how tired I was too. I thought that yeah. I would work in the evenings and yeah, me too. I, I <laughs> could not really accomplish very much because it's well, and plus for me, I was, I was afraid of dogs. So too. I yeah. was, you know, adjusting to <laughs> trying not to be terrified of this animal that was with me all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah every,
2: Ever since I was young, I was actually very, very afraid of dogs. And most of my family is very, very afraid of dogs. And uh, meeting friends who have guide dogs definitely helped with that. But I remember when I met Sadie, I thought she was going to jump on me. She she gets excited or, you know, they'll put their mouth on you just to kind of play like that is their way of playing. But that mm-hmm. those things really scared me at first or brushing her teeth, even like I did not want to do that. I was so terrified of, yeah. even, of even doing that and give it the first time i had to treat her out of my hand for clicker training so you you know you use this thing you click it they associate that to they're getting a treat that took me a couple days to actually learn because i was so scared
1: oh that was the first thing they yeah. had us do was give oh. her a treat um i give my dog a treat so that she would you know bond to me or help that process anyways and yeah yeah, I felt her mouth on my hand and I totally started crying as soon as I met her so yeah I understand it was I mean and when a dog is in harness they're trained to be very well behaved that's when they aren't going to jump up usually they're Mm -hmm. they're going to be more reserved calm and except when they're your got when they're your guide dog you don't keep them in harness all the time right? you don't you take them out of harness and then and you're supposed to play with them and have fun with them and let them be a dog and those were the times when I was the most afraid because she would too. get excited and maybe bar- she barked at me which I was oh, like yeah. she hates me she's mad at me but actually she was just playing and saying hi yeah. so Yeah, it was hard.
2: Yeah. Or like, you know, if you're playing tug with them, sometimes their teeth will touch your hand. At first that terrified me. I was like, oh my goodness, like her teeth. Yeah. Yeah. I have taught her not to put my arm in her mouth. That's just something I personally don't like. Mm -hmm. Uh, but she is definitely very high strung. Like I compare her a lot to your dog because I think they are quite, quite similar
1: in energy level. (laughs) Yeah. My condolences on that. (laughs) (laughs) It's you mentioned going to New York. I think my moment when i was so i've never been able to see in the dark and i have yeah. have a little bit of vision in the daylight so traveling at night was always a little bit more challenging and i we did a night route and that was sort of the first moment when i w- i was super impressed with like how confident i felt being guided mm-hmm. i don't know it just went really well so th- there were, it was very emotional it was very up and down right and what, how 100%. you describe some days yeah. were tough some days there were moments where it was amazing and moments where it was really hard and everything in between
2: hmm. And sometimes it even felt like, is this something that like, you know, you question yourself, you're like, is this a good decision that I yes. made? Right? Because you're yes. so in that emotional state. You're like, I just don't want this. And right. And that's where it's really hard. And that's why I was saying like, you really have to be sure that this is something that you want, and that you have the skills for mobility, because when you have a cane you can, you know, look around more to see what's around. When you just have a dog, you kind of have to sense when the buildings are coming up and sense, you know, where you're supposed to be turning, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that was even in that too was a challenge.
1: Mhm. Definitely. Yeah. And I think the longer you've been working with a cane, the more you might doubt that decision while you're there. Like you're so we're used to what we're used to, right? We're Mm -hmm. comfortable with what we know. And so when it's hard, when it's something new and it's hard, then you're kind of like, Oh, am I making a mistake? Is this the right thing? Maybe it's, I don't know. And so that, and doubting yourself throughout this really challenging training period is adds to the, the exhaustion, I think.
2: It really does. And I think that's the thing people don't talk about. And also like me and like I said, the other student from Canada were the youngest ones in our class. Um, So I am 21 and she was also um, my age. Everyone else was quite older. They were parents. They Mm -hmm. were, you know, um, from, they were veterans, just they were much older. And I Mm -hmm. think also having that because, um, some classes will typically be more students because it's in the summer months. Um, And some classes will typically be uh, other types of people, right? Right. And so having me kind of feel like I was the youngest also kind of made me feel a little bit more intimidated, especially because my friend, uh, she owns three horses. So she's quite competent um, with animals. Mm -hmm. And everyone else was... Actually, no, there was one other student also who was 21, and he was getting his first dog. But other than the three of us, everyone else was was there for their successor dogs, and everyone else was just so comfortable with dogs. So it just kind of was felt a little bit intimidating in that sense as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. My class, there was only six of us. It's a smaller school. So six is the size of the classes, but five of us were getting our first dogs and only one one person was getting her fourth or fifth dog and the rest of us were getting our first dogs. So it was amazing because we were all going through this for the first time, except this one person who we got we peppered her with questions the entire time because she had so much experience but the rest of us could really connect on what we were struggling with or what Mm -hmm. you know the questions we were dealing with um internally or is this going to work out or are we going to be successful and yeah Mm -hmm. it was it was kind of cool
2: yeah the seeing eye has 24 students So four students to one instructor. But with COVID, um, they um, definitely reduced that number. So when I was there, there was 10 of us. So two per instructor. And that meant that one of us would go in the morning. One of us would go in the afternoon. But Mm -hmm. typically, if you had four, there'd be two and two. I really liked one-on-one. I don't know if I actually would have made it if I had another student working Mm-hmm. uh at the same time especially if they were getting their successor dog um I really liked the one-on-one and that was definitely feedback I gave to them af- um, because everyone gets a chance to do an exit interview once you're done training mm-hmm. and a lot of us seem to like that style as well
1: yeah ours was was it was one trainer to two dogs but we were never out at the same time so we would travel yeah. to the wherever we were going for the day together and then one of us would stay at in the building while the other one went for their walk with the <laughs> trainer and then we would switch so it right. was it was for the most part one on one when you were getting right. yeah when you were on the on the road i guess or <laughs> while <Well, laughs> you were training yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 uh so did COVID impact, like the ability to go into restaurants or malls or university campus or anything like that?
2: Yeah, so definitely a lot of, like when we were dining in the dining hall, we were all sitting six feet apart. Mm. Uh, typically after the first week, they would open it up to more restaurant style. So moving things more into the back area of the dining hall. So you actually have to navigate more as if tables were set up for a restaurant. Mm. Um, as well as we never went to a restaurant because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we went we went to a pizza place to kind of pick up some pizza and we went to a coffee shop, but not an actual restaurant where you could practice putting your dog under the under the table under the in the booth. Uh we did actually go in a mall, um, which was actually very interesting because when I'm navigating a mall, I'm hitting all those signs and all those displays. Mm-hmm. and those plants um whereas I you know with my guide dogs we were just kind of flying through which is kind yeah. of nice in that sense um uh university campus we didn't go inside buildings but we definitely went outside um which is nice but yeah not a lot of indoor work um due to the pandemic um
1: so how which- was that when you came home and had to go to Mm -hmm. places like that with your dog when you hadn't been able to practice?
2: Yeah, definitely interesting. I mean, we did practice some stuff and, you know, you definitely can apply it over, but I remember for the first two weeks, we didn't go anywhere because of COVID. And then after that we did, you know, walks around my neighborhood a lot, but then in the summer, you know, not a lot of things were open again. So also, like, you know, she's not seeing people, so she would work very, very well. I remember the first time I took her into a building was my counseling office. And she there was just so many people in the waiting room. And I think she just got very excited. I mean, of course, it doesn't help when they're like, Oh, you came back, you have a dog now, and you know, everyone's super excited about about her. But I remember she jumped on someone mm. the very first time. And I mean, you know, these things like i feel like you know guide dog handlers are discouraged to talk about because it's kind of putting a negative reputation reputation for the dog but these things do happen because they are still dogs at the end of the day and i did correct her i gave her pretty firm leash correction and i'm glad to say like she she will try it but she has learned that that is not okay now when we go into counseling she just lays there under my seat because you know she's like oh now i'm used to this like this is how it's going to be and like even when i brought her to blind beginnings for the first time at the campfire she was like oh my goodness a big group of people sitting at my level on the ground she was very overwhelmed and i i remember going home from campfire that day and talking to people and saying i This is, I don't think I made the right decision. Mm. But then when I brought her to the screening, she was absolutely fine. And now when I take her into classes, she's absolutely fine. So there's still going to be ups and downs in that first year, regardless of pandemic or not. I do think the pandemic has made it heightened for us, but it's still like, she's still a dog.
1: Yeah. And that it is such a transition and it's, they're still learning and you're still learning and then you're learning each other. And, uh, it was so hard. I only had my dog for a year and three months. Mm -hmm. And when you said it takes six months to a year to bond, I was like, Oh man, maybe I didn't (laughs) give it long
2: enough. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately it does. I mean, I can already see our bond happening. Like she, she won't stay with anyone else. I mean, she'll try, but she'll try to follow me wherever I go. Mm -hmm. So I do see it developing. And the good thing about seeing eye is you can call the school at any time. And I did, you know, the first time she jumped up on someone, I called the school.
0: And -hmm. I think that's
2: also a thing that guide dog handlers sometimes don't maybe realize is you can call your school. You're not a bad guide dog handler for calling your school. That's what they're there for is to help those issues. Yeah, um, definitely. For when you have a new dog, especially.
1: Yeah. GDB has that too. And there's also like a support line for emotional support. If you're struggling, which I was (laughs) when I brought my dog home. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of support for sure. So now that you've been working with a dog for a while, what are your thoughts on cane versus dog? This
2: is a big one (laughs) because everyone's been asking me. And even when I went into training, so when I went into training, my, uh trainer is actually a mobility instructor and that's not often the case but i really loved it because Mm -hmm. she would explain things in mobility terms and i would just apply them to the dog um which was really nice and she kind of still showed me she's a cane is not gone you know your cane is not less than you can still integrate it and you can still use it You know, if you have to leave your dog home for some reason, you know, you still have to use your cane. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like a lot of the time people separate dog and cane is so black and white Mm -hmm. about which one's better or worse. And I don't really see that as the case. I mean, there was a time where I left Sadie and took my cane and that was quite different. I didn't really enjoy it as much because I forgot all the things that used to be in my path. But I think there's just differences, you know, it depends. Do you want to be someone who can walk really quick and go around things and rely more on echolocation? Perfect. A dog might be your choice. Are you someone who really relies on concrete foundational information? Then great, the cane might be for you. But I really don't like it when um, people, you know, split the two up or, you know, when I was younger and I really did like my cane because, you know, sighted people really didn't understand at the time, maybe about how you apply for a guide dog, just, Oh, call the CNIB. You need a guide dog, get them to get you a guide dog. Like it isn't really that easy to, Mm -hmm. to get one. So.
1: Yeah, there, there are definitely some things that I found like it's easier to get disoriented with the dog, or at least I found that way because you're not touching what's around you in the same way and you're, you're moving quick. So you could just be, your angle could just be off a little <laughs> and <laughs> then you're quickly moving in a direction you did not know you were going. So I, I actually got lost a few times. Me too. It, Body direction
2: is quite important.
1: <laughs> yeah. And once your dog knows the route, no problem. Like you're good to go, mm. but learning that route, especially if it's one that you don't know yourself was, was pretty tough. Yeah. yeah. Like we
2: have paths in in my university, there's paths, but so there's a main path that goes straight down, but then there's paths protruding to the left and the right. So if I'm trying to make, you know, with McCain, I follow the path, follow the grass. And if there's an opening, I just wouldn't take it. With mm-hmm. your dog, if you're trying to make a fast beeline straight, sometimes if I just veer a little bit to the left or right, we you know, we could be yeah. going down the wrong path. So <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that happens at 930. Or at they, they'll they <laughs> take
1: you to the door of a place because they like to find you doors because you like to you like it when they find you a door, but mm-hmm. it's a door. It's not the right want. door. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah,
2: yeah, definitely happened a couple times. It's like, no, nope, try again. Not this one. Try again. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I think patience is definitely needed when when sort of learning how to use a guide dog and adjusting to that way of traveling after a long time of using a white cane.
2: Hundred percent. Also, with uh, people as well, right? Because you're, I think. Um, a lot of t- a lot of people also think that the guide dog is changing for you, but it's also changing for the people around you because you're also kind of this new thing is being brought into their lives as well mm. because it's not like you know you're going into the restaurant with your cane. it's now it's like they're like do I guide you? where do you walk? because when you're working with a guide dog, I usually get the person to follow me behind me on my right because guide dogs do not like anything else on their left. At least Sadie does not because she walks on my left. So it's also a big adjustment for the people in your life too.
1: Mm, That's interesting. So what is your preferred way of traveling with other people? Would you be guided while you're using your dog or is it you prefer not to?
2: I prefer not to, which is actually quite shocking uh, for me because... (laughs) Yeah, I uh, You know me. I was very much guide me everywhere, people. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know my parents. Uh, even if I brought my cane, they'd guide me everywhere. Um, since I've gotten my dog, I don't remember. I can't count. Like, like I can count on my hand how many times my parents have guided me, and that's a huge, huge step for them.
1: Wow. Um.
2: Yeah. Because yeah, you know the relationship, and you know they are terrified of dogs it's just part of the culture but now that my parents pet my dog and love it so much it's just like this whole other thing and you know i never you know sean you know like i never took the bus places now i take the bus to school two buses Mm -hmm. to school things that like you know people kind of you know it's cliche like oh a guide dog changed my life but i think for me the guide dog changed my life in the sense of it lets people around me know that okay she is capable of doing this she has a dog You know she can do this, and I think that's just huge for me.
1: Oh, that's especially
2: especially with my family. So
1: yeah, I do. That's interesting. Just the way people respond. That was one of the things I loved Mm -hmm. about having a dog. Was (laughs) people seem to have an assumption that you, if you have a guide dog, you must be a certain level of intelligent and capable and competent Exactly. And they, and they treat you that way. Right. So with a white cane, I, I felt, I, I don't have that experience. I feel like people sort of talk down to you, but with a dog, they talk to me more like an equal, which is something that I really appreciated. And they're also super curious about your dog. So yeah. they're going to, yeah. there's a conversation starter right off the bat, which mm-hmm. It isn't there I feel like you king. get
2: grabbed less often too, because you yes. know, if you do have an animal with you, which I you know I never liked it when people grabbed me, and I think it's also because you have to take care of the animal. You know, mm-hmm. you have to. They see you kind of correcting it. They see you kind of doing those things, which you know. Yeah. You know, that kind of shows that, um, you know, you kind of are able to manage that. And yes, it is a conversation starter. Sometimes, you know, people are curious and sometimes it's the conversations of, you know, please don't pet my dog and things like that. That has been really hard for me because I though I love to advocate, um, it is really hard for me to advocate in those situations. Because it feels like I'm going back to the basics of, please don't touch my cane. Please don't take my cane. And it feels like you're just kind of doing that with your dog Mm -hmm. again. So there's there's you know, I like not being grabbed and I love, you know, being seen as this confident person, Mm -hmm. but then people who kind of pet your dog when you're not looking or or call out to your dog and, you know, stuff like that, that definitely does still deter me.
1: I guess we should maybe, since we're all talking about guide dogs, just sort of refresh people on the rules of what, you know, the etiquette, Mm -hmm. what to do and not do.
2: Yeah. So when you see a seeing eye dog or a guide dog in harness, so the body harness that goes on the dog, that symbolizes that the dog is working. So when you put that on your dog, the dog understands that it is work time. So- not to pet or engage with the dog. If you want to pet the dog, ask the handler. If the handler says yes, then the handler says yes. If the handler of the guide dog says no, then it's a no. Um, a lot of people, you know, sometimes do this thing where they'll be like, I know I'm not supposed to, but I can't help it. Yeah. And they'll they'll still pet your dog. And that's always really awkward for me. Um, so, you know, please be respectful of that. And just make sure you ask. It's just like when you have a newborn baby and someone's really curious, right? You, you want to protect your, your baby. Um, offering food to a guide dog is something that we really don't appreciate because if a guide dog gets used to having food, human food, especially if they see a donut or something in the street, they might lunch to go get it instead of guiding us, which can um, often leave us, you know, maybe in an unsafe situation. If they're supposed to be walking us around something, um, calling out to a guide dog, uh, the guide dog should be focused on its owner and taking directions from us. And often, you know, calling a guide dog, whistling at it or et cetera, can take focus away from that. And, you know, otherwise just, you know, ask questions. Um, That's one thing I don't mind is I don't mind if people don't know. I think what bothers me more is if they don't ask. So I'm more than always happy to answer any questions that people have rather than them assume and do something. Like, oh, another thing too is, um, if you want to help us, please use your words. Don't grab the harness handle because that's just like grabbing the steering wheel out of someone's hand. Um, You know, you don't really want to um, get in between the dog and its handler.
1: I was just thinking about, why would somebody say yes or no, if you ask to pet their dog and I, you know, people, it's not because some people who are blind are nice and some aren't, it, no. it really depends on the dog. Right. And how they're how going to respond. It? Yeah. How, you know, are they, my dog was so easily distracted that if anybody pet my dog on the sky train, she would not want to come off the train with me. Like she'd want to stay and hang out with that person. (laughs) So it was really difficult for me when people would interact with my dog. So I would have to say no. Whereas other people, I've seen them, oh, go ahead, no problem. And the dog will just quickly recover and focus and carry on, Mm -hmm. right? Also
2: depends where you're going, right? If you're in a rush, you might not have time. Mm -hmm. If, If you have time, you might even take the harness off. I've done that. I, you know i've taken the harness off after class to let people pet my dog so it really depends on the circumstances
1: Mm -hmm. um what advice would you give somebody who is maybe considering going to get a guide dog yeah do
2: a lot of research a lot of research um there are different training methods and different schools and different things that might work for you that might not work for somebody else or things that you might not really like. So making sure that you pick a school and training method that works well for you and your needs. Also strong orientation and mobility skills. I know I keep coming back to that, but that really, really is really important Um, and being able to walk um, two to three routes independently because when you get that dog, You want to make sure it has work to do. Otherwise, it could get bored or it could lose its training. And, you know, you don't want that. Um, So, yeah, just kind of being mindful of of those things and being mindful of whether you should get a guide dog right now or maybe if it's a decision that you should wait for um, for a couple of years to make. Mm hmm. You also have to have a stable living environment. I think they do say, um, you know, if you're moving within the first year, it might not be a great idea to get a dog because then you're learning new roots, and the dogs also being uprooted because you have to remember these dogs were born, then they were given to puppy raisers. So people who kind of foster them and then they're given back to the school to be trained and then they're, you know, given to you. So they bounce from person to person and you really want to make their life stable as possible.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us, Ginny. This has been really interesting to learn about your story. And I'm so happy that it's been a positive experience and that you are enjoying working with Sadie.
2: Thank you. And thanks so much for having me and asking me to talk about this.
1: You've been listening to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. If you have a question, a comment, a future topic request, please send us an email to limitless at blindbeginnings.ca. Please share our podcast with a friend, like, subscribe, and join us next time.
0: This podcast has been brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted along with their families.